Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Billington, and we're back to preview this weekend's American Grand Prix. Joining me as ever, I have the wonderful Ellie Mae Taylor, and well, I've also got Timo Albus Daly. How are you both? Feeling is mutual. Good. Ellie Mae, how are you? Yeah, I'll go feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you. Um, this time, though, we are, however, joined by F1 reporter for the Grid Network, Isha Azim. And uh, welcome to the podcast. First time on as a guest. How are you? Hi, everyone. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Should be good fun. And judging by the accent, we've got someone who is podcasting from the land where the race is happening, which we, we like to sort of tie into. We like to get a, a reporter on the ground, so to speak. Whereabouts in America are you from, if we could pry that much? I'm on the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey. Wonderful. So uh, it's been a long time since we've had a Grand Prix out that way, I think. Um, I think the closest we've ever gotten would have been... Ooh, I, wanted to, I was about to say Willow Springs, but California. It'll come to me late halfway through the podcast. I guarantee I remember an American race circuit was out that way. Um, I'd say Dover International Speedway, a bit further down the coast, is probably the closest. Um, but that's NASCAR. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked already, so we'll jump straight into what the hell has happened. And, um, well, there's finally been some Bernie Eccleston news. It's been a long time coming. We haven't had him on the podcast for a long time. But um, he's finally had his day in court. Yes, the former F1 boss and Brabber owner pleaded guilty to fraud after failing to declare that he had over $400 million in a trust in Singapore. Eccleston has agreed to repay almost $653 million to HMRC and was sentenced to 17 months in prison, which has been suspended for two years. His legal representatives argued Eccleston would not face his, should not face his prison term due to his age, he's now 92, medical issues and low risks to the public, which the court, court agreed to. But I think that's probably actually more down to the fact we quite simply don't have the room to imprison him. And I don't mean that in sort of the Pablo Escobar sense of he was imprisoned in seven acres of land. Our prisons are essentially just full up. We kind of have a crisis at the minute, so... I guess he's the least of their worries. Yeah, I, I, he is not necessarily a flight risk, but yeah, when you say risk to the public, he is 92. Like his greatest risk at the moment is winter. Um, so he's he's got he's got every chance of just sort of sitting out his two years of suspended sentence, provided he doesn't actually commit tax fraud for another 40, uh, what, 24 months, he should be okay. Um, but yeah, given that he's got a net worth of about 2.5 billion pounds, I don't think he'll be too wounded by this. No, apparently the four hundred million in a trust was was for his daughters as well. And yeah, I'm kind of now feeling like, well, why don't I have that? Yeah, I think well, I definitely recall um, Tamara being sort of uh, one of the names that spun round. I think they're one of like the most iconic of the Eccleston offspring, given the fact that he's I think he's like a great grandfather by at least his first wife at this point. And two years ago or something, had a child by his most recent wife, which is yeah. quite impressive for at that point would have been a nonagenarian so it's yeah any other comments on bernie eccleston and his court case just a quiet shake of the head from timo in the pitch black there um we'll move across the channel and onto the continent where over in Muge not Mugello, it's furano isn't it um where ollie behrman has been testing with ferrari and while this isn't wholly important to sort of a great manner of things it is a good inset test ahead of his Haas fp1 drives in mexico and abu dhabi and equally it's a good chance to get acquainted with the feel of an f1 chassis and also helps reinforce his links with the ferrari drivers academy do we think he's going to be a driver that ferrari keeps around 
around on the back burner. They've sort of done the same thing with Robert Schwartzman of late and just sort of had him sort of pottering around doing a few bits and pieces here as test and development. Do we actually think they're going to use Oli Behrman or are they too sort of set on having Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz around for the long term? They'll use him in the same way they've used Schwartzman, but hopefully for Behrman's sake, he can get out of that before he gets stuck in the same kind of rut that Schwartzman in because he doesn't seem to be going anywhere which is not great for for him because he's pretty decent driver or at least was back in, in Formula 2. And I think Oli Berman being a rookie in F2, he's got a lot of potential. So maybe Haas, as that's where he's going to be doing his P1 sessions later on, is is more of where he should be heading in future. And this is just a good way of getting better in, like you say, before that. Yeah, I think Ferrari is just going to stick with Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc for now. But I think that they're definitely going to keep him around it's probably not the best for him, as TMO mentioned. You know, it's he's not going to get much done sticking around with Ferrari because they're not going to make him their like prime drivers anytime soon. But I think they're definitely going to keep him around for the long run in case something goes downhill with Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc. I mean, worst case scenario, we see him have a music collab with Robert Schwartzman for the, his next track. So we could at least see that in the future for him. In other news, the Belgian Grand Prix contract with Formula 1 has been extended to 2025, which had been seemingly under doubt for a while with other circuits looking to join the calendar, but renovations in the circuit have kind of eased F1's concerns there about running the sport from that circuit, as well as, obviously, the circuit's ability to turn a profit, um, because it needed to host a few more people there, but I thought I'm quite glad that it's there for not just next year, but it's got more than one year on its contract, and... It's unusual for it to be such a short contract, just in comparison to some of the other circuits and how monster their contracts are in comparison size-wise. And for I know Domenicali's come out and said before that history shouldn't matter, which is a bit of a weird thing for the head of F1 to say when it comes to such iconic circuits as Spa. But for me, it should just be on there permanently, and they should just work to accommodate it rather than it having to accommodate them. But that's personal preference but I'm glad that it's at least on there for another two years and hopefully it stays that way yeah I agree I mean for me I think Spa is definitely of historical importance to F1 and that's one of the reasons it should stay but they also they have been actively investing in both safety and fan experience over recent years so I think it'll be nice to reward that investment you know it's popular with F1 fans there was an increase in 20,000 fans attended this year against the last, and it brought in just under 42 million euros into the local economy in 2021. So I think at the moment, it's in everyone's best interest to keep it. There's no real reason at the minute that it shouldn't be on the calendar. Yeah, I think it's it's a firm favourite amongst the fans, and there's a, an appreciation for its worth and value as a historic circuit. And I think it's weird that Stefano likes to sort of tout on about, oh, history doesn't really mean that much in Formula 1, given the fact that, A, at one point he was a team principal of Ferrari, a team which gets a payout from Formula 1 for being a historic team. So it seems a bit sort of backhanded of him to throw that one at one of the most iconic circuits that still exists on the calendar. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, but at the end of the day, glad to see that it's sticking around, certainly. From an American's perspective, they sort of... Because we're all Europeans, so we're all like, yes, like we we have to keep Spa, but is it kind of the same in America? What is it sort of like? Obviously, we never really sort of get many sort of global perspectives, I guess. Well, 
just to clarify, are you asking specifically about keeping the Belgian GP or in general about like all of the European tracks? We'll go with Belgium. Well, so when I was looking at the Belgian GP's contract, you know, to me, I don't feel strongly either way about it. So for me, the tracks that I'm more interested in are like the really historical ones. Like we've got Monza, we've got um, uh, Monaco, you know, those are the ones that really stand out to me. And obviously, as an American, I'd like to see more races happening over here because we can't exactly fly out to Europe every time there's a Grand Prix happening, right? So um, coming back to the Belgian GP, though, I don't really feel too strongly either way. Um, I heard that you guys are excited that the Belgian GP's contract is staying, but, um, you know, I, I feel pretty neutral about it. I mean, it's, it's hard to say that it's not a historic race. I mean, there's been a Belgian Grand Prix since I think about the 20s, but it was very different circuits back then. And a few sort of spark pretty consistently since in its current format since the 80s, really. But I mean, the, Belgium has long been a mainstay of Grand Prix racing in either the modern format from 1950 onwards or all the way back to when it literally used to be sort of privateers in Talbots and Sunbeams. So it's... It, it's strange that Formula One again seems to be going down this route of sort of pissing on its own history. It's it's weird, and I don't like the fact that a sport seems to come to sort of disrespect its own sort of franchise so much. Um, it's also just occurred to me what the other F1 circuit in America was, and it was Watkins Glen, which is of course New York based, so only really a state border away from New Jersey. But that's a that's a throwback to earlier on in the same episode. Um, but anyway, Belgium covered. Uh, we've got a few other things that are being investigated though, and Lance Stroll is one of them, along with Lewis Hamilton, both for different infractions occurring at the Qatar Grand Prix. Lance's debacle is in relation to shoving his trainer when he got out of the car after a dire Q1 on the Friday of the Qatar Grand Prix. The FIA's compliance officer, Paolo Basari, opened the investigation into Stroll's actions, including his behaviour in the media pen. So this goes beyond simply just being seen to push his trainer. Um, the compliance officer has noted the apology that was submitted by Stroll and issued a written warning reminding Lance of his responsibilities as a competitor bound by the FIA Code of Ethics and other FIA ethical and conduct guidelines set forth by the sporting regulations. To quote, uh, the FIA maintains a zero-tolerance stance against misconduct and condemns any actions that may lead to physical harassment. We'd really like to have a poke with that FIA code of ethics and see how well it applies to some of the countries they race in, but that's been a bugbear of mine for quite some time. Um, meanwhile, a spokesperson confirmed that the FIA was also going to take another look at Lewis Hamilton illegally crossing the track following his lap one crash with Mercedes teammate George Russell. The action is possibly driven by a fairly recent incident during the FIA's World Karting Championship finals where British karter Joe Turney was hit by another competitor and suffered a compound fracture. There hasn't been a release on this yet, but uh, they have cited his position as a role model as the reason why this is under further investigation. Essentially, you can't have the star figure of your sport breaking one of its most obvious safety rules. So um, we'll wait and see what happens. So that with seems that a little bit silly to me because it's essentially saying there's one rule for the majority of the drivers and then another rule for the more popular ones or the more bigger people. So we have Max and Lewis and Alonso and we just give you and give you a different rule because you've just if if Esteban Ocon or Lance Stroll walks across the circuit, no one's going to be inspired by them to do the same. But if it's Lewis Hampton, oh we're suddenly just going to get this idea of yes, that seems like a very good idea. 
So for me, it seems a bit ham-fisted and just leave it as it was. He's apologised, he's done it, all that kind of thing. Stroll, on the other hand, is very much of the case of he's probably going to do that again. He's gone as far as basically saying he's not going to change anything. So if you're going to re-look at anyone, look at Lance and just leave it as it is. I'm glad you've said that because when I say they think of him as a role model, I don't think they think of him as a role model within Formula One. They mean it as a grander aspect to the FIA. Well, again, you're not going to have everyday people seeing him walking across a track when there's possible cars coming in. Well, I'm just not going to bother looking on the street anymore because Lewis doesn't bother doing that either. So It's, it's not a street safety thing. It's a thing in relation to the rest of the sports that the FIA It still controls. seems like double standards. It's not double standards. It's a case of this is the top rung of the sports in which we sort of maintain. Yeah, so have them all measured at the same level. Don't have a special thing calling out just two or three drivers because of extra role model status. No, they're calling out F1 or Formula 1, Formula 2 and Formula 3 as the role models because that is arguably the peak at which people in the junior categories, the more accessible levels of things like karting, of Ginetta racing, of um, junior saloon racing are going to be looking at as their sort of role models. Formula 1 is the role model. It's not Lewis Hamilton. It's been badly phrased and interpreted by press media and people outside of it as this is a Lewis Hamilton versus the rest of the world thing as a lot of people like to jump onto. This is FIA going, look, guys, you're Formula One, you should be better than this. Not Lewis Hamilton, look, you should be better than this. This is, it's an interesting interpretation of the way they Well, then it's amusing it. that the FIA haven't been able to phrase an official document in a way that can't be misconstrued. But they haven't released an official document yet. All they've said is well, this is what we're doing. Well, any of the wording out, you'd think they'd have it better worded anyway. I would like to know the difference or whether you sort of, the FIA was sort of looking at Formula One in the same way as when, can you remember last year in Bahrain when Perez span out because of the engine failure and he got out the car as they were still racing and you had him walking around the circuit as the Ferraris were going past. How is that different or you know, was that looked at the same way as Hamilton? That's a that's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought of considering it that way. I, I think at this point, it really depends on how much you want to start digging back into, though, and sort of at what point you, in this respect, let bygones be bygones, and sort of where, where do you draw the line? Because people getting out of their cars when they're broken down at motorsport events happens all the time it's i think the the question is when you cross the track i don't think perez actually crossed the tracks he broke down on the inside of turn one two wasn't it so he just sort of walked down pit exit so i I, it's, it's it's such a tough one yeah that was the only thing that i could really think of but then i would have thought that they would say remain in your car until it's safe to get out unless they thought that someone was going to crash into his car and that would be worse? I don't know. But equally, I think with the remain in your car thing, it's that risk of mechanical failure. Race cars are prone to overheating and catching fire. And I don't think they want to give you the advice that if your car is retired from the race with a mechanical problem, you should be sitting in something that is at risk of catching fire. Um, Yeah. It, it's it's such a multifaceted thing that it, you, you've you got to look at this case in isolation because as soon as you start looking at everything else, all of a sudden you've got all the what-ifs that come into it. They need to look at it at this instance and draw a hard and fast rule from here forwards. Yeah. 
But I guess something we do have more clarity on, though, is that Pirelli are going to supply tyres to F1 until 2027, with an option to extend their contract for a further year. When Pirelli returned to, in, to F1 in 2011, I don't think there was much competition to be F1's tyre supplier, but sort of this time round, the competition was much stiffer, with pressure on Domenicali from some to switch back to Bridgestone, who supplied F1 with tyres between 1998 and 2010. Ultimately, however, F1 decided to stick with Pirelli, a brand that they already have a relationship built up with. They already know the demands of the sport and what is expected of them. One other key element in Pirelli remaining was that they were able to demonstrate their commitment in helping F1 reach its goal of becoming net zero by 2023. And as part of the new deal, from 2024 onwards, F1 tyres will be certified by the Forest Stewardship Council, meaning that, and I quote, the plantations of the forest-based components of the tyres are managed in a way that preserves biological diversity and brings benefits to the lives of the local communities and workers whilst fostering economic success. On top of this, a tyre's life cycle will be controlled by sustainable bodies in order to guarantee production, use and recycling is made in a sustainable way. I think it's the right move. It's definitely a good move to sort of go down the route of um, whether it's keep, keeping Pirelli I'm still sort of mixed on. I would have liked to have seen possibly two tyre brands within the sport at once would have been quite interesting, but we've seen that cause problems before, famously 2005 the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Um, but certainly having Bridgestone come into it with their knowledge of other tyres from other motorsports they dabble with, and equally Bridgestone is a slightly more affordable brand of on-road tyres. So it would have been interesting to see sort of road developments and road applications come down that way in an encouragement of green production of tyres into more everyday road tyres um, would have been also an interesting one to see. So it's I'm, I'm mixed on it. I like the fact that we're sticking with a, a well-known status quo, especially off the back of a race weekend where tyres proved to be the one deciding factor as to how well your weekend went. Um, ultimately, though, whether we're sticking with Pirelli the tyre manufacturer that failed to raise its voice loud enough um, is possibly victim blaming, but there was certainly problems that Pirelli could have negated going into Qatar. So it's six of one, half dozen the other, I think, in this opinion, or certainly in mine. I don't know about anyone else's. Yeah, I think it's sort of a rock and a hard place in that it would be nice to see someone like Bridgestone come in, but at the same time, F1, the demands, I think, are so different to a lot of other... Um, racing categories that it's how do you you know how does Bridgestone come in sort of with its knowledge being back in 2010 and the tyres have been so different to how they were back then they produce um the tires for indycar bear in mind with firestone which is their sister company based in america so they've got knowledge of how to produce high-speed single-seater tires and equally with firestone they are used to producing tires with a green element in it with the sort of cactus rubber that's incorporated so there is there is knowledge at bridgestone and equally it is a massive conglomerate it's got the knowledge and the knowledge pool to be able to put together a way of doing this so it's it's interesting isha we haven't heard from you for a little while so i'll throw this one to you for uh, for an opinion don't don't need to be sort of left out of the of the conversation 
No, it's totally fine. Um, I was just going to say that I think this is the smarter move um, because they've already been working with Pirelli and they've seen that, you know, those tires have been working out very well. And as you guys mentioned, you know, working with Bridgestone, they would have had to build two types of new tires and that could have caused other issues, you know, with testing and um, with seeing that, you know, they work well on the different tracks. So I think that going with Pirelli was definitely the right option in this case. I think if they had gone for another time manufacturer, it would have probably had to have been sort of that we had two time manufacturers in F1 rather than putting, I guess, all the eggs in one basket in a completely new brand. Well, not a completely new brand, but, you know, they'll be... We'd have seen sort of the two at once and then a slow transition to the sort of the one that sort of joined the sport. It would have been definitely an interesting one to see. Um, speaking of decisions that have been made or certainly research that's being done, uh, the FIA is investigating what can be done to mitigate health impacts of racing in conditions similar to Qatar. And it's interesting we raise this because Texas is looking at a fairly warm weekend coming up, but nowhere near as warm as Qatar, mind. In a release put out on the Monday following the Qatar GP, the FIA notes with concern that the extreme temperature and humidities experienced during the 2023 FIA Formula 1 Qatar Grand Prix had an impact on the well-being of drivers. While being elite athletes, they should not be expected to compete under conditions that could jeopardise their health or safety. The safe operation of the cars is at all times the responsibility of the competitors. However, as with other matters related to safety, such as circuit infrastructure and car safety requirements, the FIA will take all reasonable measures to establish and communicate acceptable parameters in which competitions are held. When we return to Qatar next year, it will be in late November when conditions are cooler. I'm going to say that with obviously reference to those temperatures indeed. So this issue isn't expected to be quite so severe, but do we think there's an argument for sort of mandating health and safety aspects beyond simply just safety aspects in Formula One? Yes, I do. Um, or at least it just, it doesn't have to be a, like a huge list, just a brief, you know, note to say if temperatures exceed this amount or like the humidity levels as long as well as the temperature exceed this, it's no longer safe for a driver to, for drivers to be in the race or because you can't, reduce the race without reducing the points so it's like then how do you go about it do you sort of maybe say well if we do get to those kind of temperatures we reduce the racing distance but they're still allowed the awarded the full amount of points because then you start taking in maybe how taxing it is on the driver it's i guess difficult to implement either they just say you're just not allowed to race or go against their own race distance rule? I think you do a little bit of what they've done with Qatar for next year already, in that before we even had this Grand Prix this year, they'd already said that next year's was going to be later, perhaps as part of a way to preempt these kind of conditions, or at least they can use that argument if they didn't before. And I think it's just understanding that if you're going to schedule a Grand Prix for a certain time of year, make sure that you're not going to have X, Y, and Z conditions there, which will make them ask these kind of questions of what do we do? Do we shorten the race, but then still have the same points? Do we do half points? What do we do? You just kind of avoid that altogether and think, okay, 
maybe we can't eliminate the risk of that entirely, but we can try and reduce as much of it as possible so that it is not as much of an issue. And if it is, then we have these other questions to then answer. But we've done our best to try and work around that. And I mean, you see that with with Abu Dhabi, we go there later on and it could be even worse conditions there if we went to enter a different time of year. Same for other locations. So I think that's that's part of it because otherwise you get into that kind of murky water, like you were saying, what do we do in terms of do we shorten the race distance? Do we not do that and then we risk it? But then how much do we risk it by what's acceptable in one place? We can't have it acceptable for everywhere else because it's very case by case dependent. So it's you need maybe some broad guidelines, but ideally just organize your calendars that you're not going there when it's going to be these kind of sweltering conditions in the first place. That's probably the first step, isn't it? Mitigating it before it becomes a problem. But then I guess having those measures for if it is ever a problem, because you can't control the weather. It may be cooler in November, but you could have a sudden heat wave or something. Yeah, exactly. You've got to mitigate as much as you can, but that in the meantime buys you a bit of time to figure out the other the other answers to the questions that you were posing there. At the same time, I don't think it's beyond reason to look at fitting drivers with thermometers. We're looking at Formula Two. We've got the heartbeat monitor, so we can see their their sort of um, pulse rate. And obviously, we've got G meters inside earpieces, so we can understand the G forces drivers go through when they crash, but equally lateral loading on them. So it's not outside the realms of the technology available to the sport to safely and effectively monitor the temperatures drivers are subjected to. And equally, when you look at other sports, um, I know certainly with horse racing and different equine competition, there are caps on the temperatures that competitions allowed to take place in. And if you're making someone sit with their back to essentially a 220 mile an hour kettle, you should probably have some sort of relative temperature cap in there, at least. You would think... I mean, I don't know how to put it, but you would think a driver or a human being would have more rights than a horse. Yeah, I, at the end of the day, that's very much the argument that I was leaning down. There's, is the, the, fact the, that there's the clips of the podcast. Is we very much mandated that you can't travel, you can't even under long distance horse sort of carriage, like actually shipping them around, you can't allow them to be in trailers over a certain temperature for a certain period of time, but it's perfectly acceptable to basically boil in the bag a Lando Norris because you want to watch motor racing. It's, yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. Um, but speaking of, actually, there's no real link between that point and the next one. It's F1 Academy, who've uh, got two rounds of very good news. Yes, they're going to be collaborating with Champions on, of the Future on a new global karting series. This is going to be aiming to increase female participation and inclusion in national and international karting competitions by breaking down the barriers to entry. So Kofta will implement a series of cost control measures, including limit on entry fees and an engine and chassis lottery system to decrease the financial requirements for competitors. Then it'll be made up of three mixed gender categories. So you will have minis, which will be women from ages 8 to 11, juniors, which will be 11 to 14, and seniors. Seniors is a funny word for this because it's 14 to 17-year-olds. And the plan is for participants to compete in six doubleheader race weekends around the world with at least one race taking place outside of Europe, which I think is quite a good thing because it gives the drivers there plenty of experience for any potential advancement later on where they're going to be moving around the world quite a bit. So as part of this collaboration, F1 Academy will support three female drivers in each of those categories with their presence highlighted by branded cuts and race suits. 
Financial support will also be provided, as mentioned, for entry fees with the best three female drivers in the seniors category to be invited to an official F1 Academy test. And it, this is definitely starting to address that initial problem that we were talking about a lot over the last few months, at the very least, of the fact that while we love the, all the drivers that are currently there, Ellie May is definitely of the opinion that it's going to be someone cutting now that's more likely to get into F1 later. Um, and this is maybe a way of trying to mitigate that as much as possible, try and guarantee that for, to happen. I tie that back into Qatar that way. And I think it's good that they're, they're again, getting another kind of um, grassroots initiative out like this, and it can be kind of used throughout throughout the world on that side of things and kind of used as a blueprint for others to look at and think, hmm, that might not be a bad way to go about it. And I'm glad that they're at least trying something to boost this because a lot of this we don't know how successful a lot of it's going to be yet but we're all fingers crossed by it and it sounds and looks good on paper at the very least i have a look and each category has 36 places and of course i'm not asking mm -hmm. one academy to fund more places for female drivers but say worst case scenario being the most being completely pessimistic Say that the only females in those categories are those three that are being funded. That's a one in 12 chance for a female to be successful and move up then into the next category. For a male, it's still an 11 in 12 chance. Yes, it's good news that women are being provided more help and we're proactively trying to create more equal opportunities and level out the playing field and equally. I think it's significantly cheaper to race in this series for an eight to 11 year old it's 3700 euros for everything the car engine fuel tires etc you just have to provide the mechanic toolbox and fork out for any damages so it is significantly cheaper in that respect but is yes it is helping but is it also further highlighting the challenges and barriers? Of course, I've done this as a worst case scenario, but I think it's perhaps maybe a scenario that needs to be taken into account that it could be the case that a female still only has a one in 12 chance whilst a male has an 11 in 12. I think it's one of those things where you've got to do something like this to, like you say, highlight the worst case scenario still, because it's only then by doing something like this that you can further highlight those issues and then figure out how better to address them more. So I think it's like F1 Academy this year, it wasn't going to be perfect from the get-go, but you still had to start it in the same way that any other motorsport series when it's first started off, like thinking Formula E and Extreme is the, the prime examples that they've had to adapt a lot as time's gone by and they've both been able to be quite successful as a result of it. And I think this is just another case of that. And it's just a, a much bigger issue in some ways, or at least a very different issue, but still is relevant. It's just a, a different area. And I agree with you. It's, it's again, worst case scenario is not, it's obviously not ideal, but, you've kind of got to maybe embrace that and show, yeah, maybe you need that worst case scenario to then help get everything else that way. And it probably shows the importance of ambassadors as well for all areas of, of motorsport from younger drivers all the way up to your older drivers, which still be like under 40 for, for this sake to show. And in multiple areas, I mean, you see that with Jess Hawkins, for example, and others. And I'm just thinking that, yeah, you've got to, you've got to start somewhere and, I don't think they're going to ignore the problems that are going to come their way and that are already existing, but it's just, you've got to start somewhere. I guess the glass half full um, 
side of it is it is a start it is and it's also potentially six women that wouldn't have had a chance without this so that's six more women in the pool at least yeah I agree with you here you know I think that I'm all for this idea because obviously it's highlighting uh female participation and especially for younger girls you know it starts at the age of eight so it's giving them that opportunity to get involved at that young age but as you mentioned you know with that worst case scenario it does highlight everything that still has to be done and I think that ideas like this are great because what they really highlight is how just how hard it is for women to get into motorsports you know like we see that they're bringing this opportunity to the females only because they didn't have this opportunity in the first place so i think that you know with everything it's got its pros and cons but i think that overall this is a great opportunity for um the girls and you know especially for the young ones who are just trying to get into motorsports that's not the only news that's come out of formula one academy this week is it it is not. F1 Academy have also released their 2024 calendar. Like this year, there'll be seven rounds and they'll be starting off their season um, in Saudi Arabia before racing in Miami, Spain, the Netherlands, Singapore, Qatar and finishing the season in Abu Dhabi. The reasoning behind racing at those circuits is that so their season spans three different continents, Europe, Asia and North America, in order to provide global visibility and to also provide the drivers with a wide range of different conditions, you know, weather, time of day, etc., as well as covering a mixture of street and traditional circuits to give drivers a wider variety of experience. But my question to you guys is, is there a circuit you would have liked to have seen on this year's calendar that hasn't been included? Um personally silverstone i think it would have been great to sort of gotten along to it and seen the action it was great seeing w series there last year um so it would be nice to have seen that seen silverstone back on that list but equally i think they've got a good mix on there to be fair a few of them are a bit duff but they've been picked logically for the unique challenges they pose drivers i think i'd have, I'd have preferred monza being there instead of example just because endless speed seems much more it just seems a bit like if you just choose and want to represent for every day of the week for anything anyway. So I just I'm biased for that reason. I agree with Silverstone, but more for the fact that it was so popular, not just um for W series, that is. Um even just on the TV, it sort of was it the like the second most watched racing series since sky records began i recall it sort of peaking some sort of record in that regard or something like it was outside of the f1 it was the most watched sporting motorsports moment in the uk or something so it sort of topped f2 and f3 for its viewership figures in the uk i think that's quite impressive especially when you look at the incredible fan base the things like moto gp british super bikes british touring cars have um or even sort of the endurance racing series when that comes to smaller circuits on its sort of smaller rounds the fact that w series at the time was able to essentially top those really proves that there is this interest and support in seeing female racing and sort of seeing this next generation of incredibly talented drivers come through and be given the support they're valid for it's yeah it's a shame that silverstone wasn't there um but at the same time i would i'd counter timo's point of monza over zandvoort i think zandvoort poses its own unique challenges it's tight and obviously with the bank circuit it's again throws in those things that as a driver it is good to have experienced and have learned to sort of tackle and how to generate the best lap times in those conditions 
Monza is sure. a fairly straightforward one to get, and equally many of these drivers will have tackled it in Italian Formula 4 or Junior Formula 4 series or Freca, so there's no reason to sort of go back there, whereas Zandvoort poses that. Oh, I get your extra. point on Zandvoort. I just prefer a classic. Oh, honest, I prefer in, I prefer Monza every day of the week, but as as a logistics point of view or a, a learning example for F1 Academy, I think Zandvoort is the smart choice, if not truly entertaining. Isha, your your choice. Which one, which circuit would you have liked to have seen added to that list? I have to agree with Tiamo here. I would have also liked to see Monza just because, you know, it is a temple of speed. But your point also makes a lot of sense that that's a track that many of the drivers have already practiced on. And Zandvoort is better in the sense of developing skills. Um, And all I'd like to say is that as an American, I'm glad that they will be crossing the Atlantic Ocean coming over from Miami um, because, you know, much of the all all of the other races are on the east side of the Atlantic. So it's, it's nice that they'll be coming over here for some experience as well. Do you think Miami was the right choice or would you have rather seen it at the Circuit of Americas or, you know, even in Canada? That's a street, technically a street track as well in Albert Park. Albert Park? Uh, no, Albert Park's oh. Australia there. Um, um, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. That's it, yeah. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, would you rather, um, out of all the North American circuits, do you think Miami was the right choice? Uh, I don't, I mean, they definitely could have gone with any of the other circuits. I, I feel like the circuit of the Americas would have been the better choice, but, um, you know, I'm sure that they have a good reason for why they picked Miami. So I think it's the low grip race circuit that Miami provides it and it's sort of uniquely demanding in that regard. It's not a completely smooth surface either. So it's quite bumpy in places. And again, cobble that with the high curb stones and the low traction that you get it provides it it's while it's pretty terrible to watch on tv provides a bit of a challenge for racing drivers i think they could have i think anyway was right when she said they could have gone for circuit Gilles villeneuve if they wanted sort of a north american street circuit in that regard um i think if you're going down sort of the north american route you could have really gone circuit hermanos rodriguez and gone for mexico because the altitude there provides a very interesting aero setup and that would have posed an even more unique challenge it's very much monza but very differently set up so that could have been arguably an even more greater challenge than maybe miami especially because you run such a unique wing setup you don't often have the traction through the back part of the circuit where it's twisty but I think they've, they've done a better job. I, I think the Formula One Academy has made a lot of good steps forward into its 2024 season based off of what we've seen from their sort of 2023 light, their sort of test run of sort of proving the concept. As they've moved forwards, they've they've made the right choices in what they've picked for circuits, what they've picked for people leading it and the way that they're sort of addressing it and putting it on display. So it's it's coming together really, really well, and it's quite a smart operation. So I think that's quite good. And equally, that's being reflected nicely in the accolades we're seeing being given to their drivers. Yes. Obviously, next year, each F1 team has to provide or support a driver in F1 Academy, including having their livery on the car. On the car. And McLaren have been the first team to announce who they will be supporting. They have announced that they'll be supporting Bianca Bustamante as she joins their driver development program. Bianca is currently running seventh in the championship and has reached the podium four times this season with a second in with a second in the first race in Austria, a win in race two of Valencia, a second in race two at Monza, and a win in third in the third race at Monza. 
yeah, it's there's still quite a lot to play for, really, in the W Series standings at the moment. I know we'll get onto it a bit later on when we okay. sort of preview the American Grand Prix, but there's a lot of points still on the table with three races still to come, and it's a relatively tight field, so we could see a lot of a lot of changes in position for the drivers. And equally, I think off the back of this sort of positive news and a sort of a bit of a not necessarily kick up the arse, but a bit of a sort of positive wave, uh, we could see a, a really strong performance from Bianca this weekend at Cota. Uh, not the only junior driver news though that's come out this week. No, and hopefully not the only Formula Three driver that we will get announced this week because it'd just be nice to have some more Formula Three news because it feels like we haven't had any in ages. Dina Boganovic has become the first driver to be confirmed for 2024. He's going to be retained by Premier for another season, which I think is a smart move because I hate seeing drivers from F3 jump up to F2 before they're ready. I know it's a completely different car to drive and you can see some wildly different kind of driver performances, Kush Mindy being the obvious example there of being not brilliant in F3 and then being absolutely excellent in Formula 2. But I'm glad that Dino's taking his time with it. There's no rush and I think everyone's kind of scrambling to try and get to the top of the pack of feeder series but then there's nowhere really to go in F for F1 seats at the moment and they're fighting over the years. So I think if you give himself another year to really bet himself into F3, really learn the craft and then hopefully get into F2 for, for 2025, then that's that's a that's a more sensible route. And Primer is is no slouch of a team. So I think he's he's doing everything everything as he should be. And just adding on to the F1 Academy news there, I would like to think that whoever ends up in the top two place in the standings come the end of this weekend would also potentially move up or at least be more tied firmly with an F3 seat for next year to show some some real progression there as well because Marta Garcia definitely deserves a seat I think in Formula 3 for next year She's driven like an absolute weapon this season it's it's shown through in the results I think it'd be daft of an F3 team to not offer her that as an opportunity um, and equally like you said I think it is it's nicer to see Formula 3 drivers taking their time a bit more and sort of spending it wisely in the lower formula before sort of moving up and then moving up again. Otherwise, you do sort of end up very much in the Oscar Piastri sort of situation of arriving at Formula One and there's not a seat. So you're sort of stuck for a bit and often that doesn't pan out very well and you end up either doing test and reserve bits or having to look at a different series entirely, much like, um, well, Felipe Drogovic is still sort of kicking around having panned off doing anything else. And meanwhile, um, Jan Deruvler has decided to go to Formula E. So it's sort of very much that case of what do you do when you get to the top? Better just put off getting to the top as long as possible. Completely left-wing news, uh, Netflix are dipping their toe into the water of live sport with the Netflix Cup. Uh, very few details are actually out about this at the moment, uh, but it's going to be a live broadcast golf competition pairing F1 drivers with PGA Tour golfers. Alex Albon, Lando Norris, Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz are taking part in the eight-hole match paired with pro golfers. Apparently, we played out across sort of a series of different weekends. It'll be live broadcast and we'll see uh, essentially a more light-hearted approach to golf and i think it's it's interesting that we're getting this crossover i don't think this is something we would have seen in formula one days gone by which is it's nice to give more of a personable side to the f1 drivers i don't know a lot about golf to know who's in the sort of pga tour golfers but for like in terms of golfers as a whole i would love it if Alvin was paired with Lily, his girlfriend. <laughs> I haven't seen her name touted about in it, but it would be interesting. I think annoyingly golf is one of the weird things where despite 
not being hugely physically demanding they still have it separated by gender so i think unless netflix really wanted to sort of break some rules there they aren't going to pull that one i think i've got a list somewhere of um netflix what's it called what's it called i've literally just looked at the words on my screen and completely forgotten it netflix cup golf uh there is a list announced of the um golf stars that are playing and i know that it's not sevi balesteros uh scrolls down the list or at least it was announced somewhere perhaps i'll try this one i should have written this down in my notes earlier but i didn't really expect there to be too many people interested in golf um no i just thought the crossover the fact that alex alvin literally has a girlfriend that is a professional golfer. Yeah, it's interesting that they... That might have been one of the things that sort of brought it on. That might have been one of the things that sort of kick-started it. Um, well, that's how they got into a relationship, wasn't it? She watched Drive to Survive. And, yeah, got into Formula One through that. Here we go. The American quartet of Ricky Fowler, Max Homer, Colin Morikawa, and Justin Thomas will represent golf against the four uh, Formula One drivers. So it's, it's going to be... An interesting mix. I think Ricky Fowler is possibly the most well-known out of that four of American golfers, but we'll see how it pans out. Yeah. And uh, it's... I have no segue. Th- uh, there isn't really a segue from Netflix hosting a live golf show with Formula One drivers to the next point, so I'll just let you run with this one. No. Uh, Peter Bayer, the new CEO of AlphaTauri, has confirmed that the team are going to go through a rebrand next year, creating a new identity as they move closer to the Red Bull family. There is no downsizing plan. The team will remain based in both Milton Keynes and Faenza, and they will likely change their livery to those similar to the Red Bull logo, which I think may ultimately confuse drivers as to who's behind them. But I liked the blue and white livery, but it's a bit like... For me, it feels a bit like when you go for a new hairstyle in the hope that it will change your whole life. It's Are they essentially trying to do everything to rebrand and improve themselves other than put effort into actually improving the car? I also don't think you'll have the trouble of knowing which team is behind you, because if you see a Red Bull behind you, and you're not sure if it's Red Bull enough, Terry, you're just going to assume it's an Alpha Tauri because there's no way it's a Red Bull behind you at this rate. Red Bull have, must have oh. really messed up the car unless they're loving you. So but even can. then, they'll be going by too quickly. Well, yes, but he won't be there next year, so it's all good. Equally, they have said it's the Red Bull logo, which makes me think that possibly the car is going to be that sort of orangey red and yellow as a colour scheme as opposed to the Red Bull sort of bluey purple. So that would be interesting because all of a sudden you're going to get them confused a little bit with Ferrari. I, I certainly would because I'm colorblind and therefore couldn't really be able to tell, tell you the difference even if it was a brightly lit room but it's it's interesting that they're sort of focused very much on the colors we've heard but at this end of the day I think the general plan for Alpha Tauri is whatever Red Bull do we're going to do about 95% of that and maybe tweak a few things ourselves um, they are every year they say they're getting more and more closely aligned with their sister team and I think that eventually that will come a point where they are very equally matched in performance but one is still treated as the sort of development seats for the big team so we'll see how that one pans out in years to come but i am i've got my fingers crossed for the orangey red slash yellow livery of the actual red bulls as opposed to red bulls sort of bluey purple color it's more orangey than perhaps you'll be getting it more confused in the clarin speaking of getting the orange of 
the Red Bulls bowl confused with McLaren. Uh, McLaren have announced that they will be trialling the use of cutting-edge recycled carbon fibre on their cars this weekend. Speaking the words right from my mouth, yes, the environmental benefits of recycled carbon fibre include a 90% reduction in life cycle emissions compared to standard carbon fibre. So that'd be the equivalent of 27 tonnes of carbon emissions for each tonne of material used. So if this works, this is potentially very good news indeed for McLaren and you've got to think that other teams would want to follow suit. And it's just a really niche, encouraging sign. And uh, I'm really hoping it works out quite nicely. There's not much to say about it. I'm just looking forward to seeing it in action. And it's nice to see that they've worked on this, this quite a bit. But anyway, you've got a little point you want to make about it. If my memory serves me correctly, and we're going to have a history lesson here, Timo. I've opened the doors. I'll let it happen. Thank you. I believe McLaren were also the first manufacturer to race in F1 with a chassis manufactured wholly from carbon fibre in the early 80s. I think technically Lotus were the first to create a complete carbon fibre monocoque. However, they never actually raced as the FIA banned the car, not because of the carbon fibre element, because of other elements. But similar cars of the era were either sort of cased in sort of the aluminium alloy honeycomb or a mixture of the carbon fiber and the honeycomb and then mclaren went the whole hog and designed a car that was fully encased in carbon fiber so i think it'll be interesting if they are then the first manufacturer to use recycled carbon um, carbon fiber on their car too the mp4 ones i think wasn't it it was one of the john barnard designs that sort of came through and yes. yeah it would have been about eight T1, I think they sort of ran that spec of car yes. for about three or four years at that point. So it was, yeah, it was their first step when they went into the McLaren prototype one series and then eventually sort of got all the, the famous MP4s and everything from there onwards, which was, it was interesting stuff. But yeah. Yeah, it was the first MP slash car. Mm. Yeah, uh, obviously the first Ron Dennis car. Yeah, I think that was about the time that he made the move over to McLaren as well. There were still hangovers of his days as on like Shadow, but yeah, it's interesting yeah. stuff. Um, but it's, yeah, all in, it's a nice little news story. And again, it's it's good to see this appropriate move towards recycling and reduction of sort of carbon pollution based out of the sport. So, but um, yeah, it's it's fairly fairly nice little thing. We'll shift away a bit from Formula One to endurance racing for a couple of news pieces. And the first one comes in the form of Glickenhaus Racing, who won't be returning to WEC with their Le Mans hypercar. Finances seem to be the root of this problem, with Jim Glickenhaus shifting attention to supporting the road car division, Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus, and their 004 sports car. Um, very much a sort of vaporware product at the moment. There's been very little sign of it on the roads or in road tests recently. So it's um, clearly they need to put the money somewhere and they've elected to put it into the thing they could actually sell and make money from as opposed to the rather nice but at the end of the day glamorous and expensive world of motorsport racing. But more appropriately, um, in the world of World Endurance Series, Alpine have been out testing and they might even have a driver to put in their seat. Yes, Mick Schumacher will be testing with Alpine for a potential wet seat for 2024 next Tuesday, I believe, in Jerez. Is it Jerez? Jerez. Jerez. Yeah, you've got to give it the full Spanish F at the end of it. Okay. Um, I didn't do Spanish at school. I did French and German, so that's why I don't know my Spanish. But anyway, this this doesn't mean that we will see him out of Formula 1 altogether. Uh, Toto Wolff has stated in the past that he's still open to keeping Schumacher as a reserve driver. 
Um, you quite often find WEC or Formula E drivers being reserved or test drivers in, within Formula One teams. But I don't think WEC is a bad move for Mick. WEC is a great series. We currently have four teams fighting to be crowned champion um, in the hypercar series. Not called hyper. Is it called hypercar at the minute? Yeah, it's LM- called hypercar at the moment. Yeah. yeah. LMPH, Le Mans prototype hybrid hypercars. Yeah. Um, I should know, seeing as I follow the series, but it changes. They change their names so often that I get confused. But anyway, it gives I guess Mick an opportunity to race rather than him remaining on the sidelines like he kind of is now. Yeah, it it gives him this sort of additional chance to sort of A, keep his hand in at the wheel and keep sort of racing away with things and actually sort of hone his skills as a driver. I think that was one of the main things we noticed when he stepped into Formula One was the fact that there was these rough edges to him as a driver that weren't quite as sort of finessed as we were potentially anticipating so we'll wait and see what happens with those and i think yeah we've got one round of the world endurance series left in bahrain i can't remember what the length of that race is off the top of my head it is the eight hours eight of bahrain, hours, i think yeah, yes and first weekend in last November. point on mick schumacher i want to get each thoughts there because obviously we haven't Never really heard your thoughts on Mick Schumacher and if he deserved to stay in F1 for longer. So is the move to Wick good for him for you or would you rather he found a way back somehow to F1? I personally, when I look at the Schumacher legacy, I would like him to stay in Formula One. But I feel like going into Wick to have that seat with Alpine, I think it would be better for him because he'd have more, more options. Then he wouldn't just be limited to Formula One or to being like a reserve driver. So I think that for him, it's great. But um, as like a Formula One fan, I would like to have him have a permanent seat, at least in Formula One sometime in the future. But I think that it's good for him to have his options open and to look at, into the other motorsport racing series as well. Going slightly off topic, because me and Jesse have spoken about this before, but I haven't had either of you two's uh, thoughts, is that obviously you've got the triple crown of Indy 500, the Monaco Grand Prix, and uh, Le Mans. If you could only win one of them, which one would you win? Monaco. Uh, I feel like I I would really want to pick Monaco too, because that's one of my favorite Grand Prix races, but I just feel we'll like just I have to a different go one there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I I think I'd go with Limon. I think Limon have- would have a lot of satisfaction to it because it's a 24 hour race, but I think for me Monaco just because it's you you've it's like Singapore the, the other week. You have one minute lack in lacking concentration and you're buggered essentially. Whereas okay you have that with Le Mans as well, but you're not responsible for the car the entire time. That's more of a team thing. And I think Indy's great, but I think that's kind of the the low it's the lower of the three, but there's nothing against it. It's just Monaco is Monaco and Le Mans Le Mans. It's it's kind of hard to and I mean Isha's shaking her head and she's an American, so if she's backing me on that point, then I'm getting away with this. No, I think I still think Le Mans would be the one to really walk away from and uh... Looking at how made up mm-hmm. Giovinazzi was walking away from his win earlier this year, I think it, it, it's amazing. Yes, that's the opinion. real reason you want the Monas to back your guy, Giovinazzi, is with advice. No comment. Um, moving on from one branch of Alpine's motor racing back to their Formula One, and uh, they are looking at a 200 million euro investment on their way from the Swifties. 
Oh, wait, this is my point as well. Um, yes, so um, I completely forgot that I was going to talk about this one. Yeah, there is a... I 200... thought you were wondering to see if anyone cared about it, because it's just like, oh, good, some people that some people have heard of maybe, at, if you watch other sports, aside from... Well, I mean, I don't particularly look at most of this, and Anthony Joshua is the only person I know from this list, and it's interesting, but also sort of just famous people might. invest in company. End of story. I mean, we mentioned it when Alpine's last round of sponsors came on because it was Rob yeah, McElhenney. They were a little and, bit more famous, though, to be fair. Uh, I'd argue you could probably put certainly Rory McElroy and Anthony Joshua into that same bracket. Anthony Joshua, world champion boxer. Rory McElroy, well, I said Anthony world Joshua, champion. and I missed over Rory McElroy because I got bored with a bit of golf. So that was that was my excuse for that one. But the rest of it is just, yeah, it's interesting. Some people have invested, but it just the whole thing seems like Alpine just trying to distract from the fact that they don't seem to know what they're doing with their team at the moment, apart from getting flash and pan results every now and again. And here's something shiny for fans to look. I thought you were just waiting for our reactions for you saying. Uh, it's on their way from the Swifties, as if we're going to be like, oh, it's a shame Fernando Alonso is no longer in Alpine when the Swifties are moving in. We could keep the Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso thing alive. It would have been quite fun. I think it's it would be really interesting to see if Taylor and Travis do rock up to the USGP this weekend. Obviously, now with Travis as a significant backer of Alpine, it would be interesting to see that weird sort of love triangle somehow sort of reignited but yeah the 200 million euros comes from otro capital investment group which is comprised of travis kelsey patrick mahomes rory mcelroy anthony joshua trent alexander arnold juan Mata, rory Ehrenberg, roger Ehrenberg, rather and alexander Sverev is also a shareholder that i don't know if he's through otro he seemed to sort of have his own little announcement that came through so he could have also just sort of chipped in a few bucks to get his name on the car. I, I genuinely don't know how this works. It To me, this all seems like a slightly more expensive version of when Caterham crowdfunded their way to the final round of what must have been like the 2012 Grand Prix season. Um, and the result was the Caterham turned up to, I think it was Abu Dhabi, with the sponsorship of like a small pub in the Cotswolds down the side of it, at what, because it was one of the few people that gave them money to get there. It was weird little time but yeah Alpine have got some more money whether they spend it wisely or making the team better um, has yet to be seen I know that Trent Alexander-Arnold's quite a big F1 fan you usually see him going around with I think Red Bull actually so quite a lot of the F1 of the football sort of the big name footballers certainly on the UK scene do enjoy a bit of F1 you see them at a couple of weekends through the year but I mean my, my interest is whether or not the Taylor Swift spillover is going to reach this far in because obviously uh, American football has seen a huge uptick in popularity with obviously the relationship between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and there's been like a huge spike in jersey sales for both Kansas City Chiefs and specifically Travis Kelsey whether that's going to trickle all the way over into Alpine I think it would be interesting if it does it would be quite funny and at the end of the day great if you're an Alpine fan and you see your team getting some extra dollar but yeah, it's it's just going to be interesting to see how big the Taylor effect is, whether it can reach this far, or if she decides to go a completely different way and like pour her money into Williams, per se. That good Aston Martin. Can you imagine six foot or like six foot one Taylor Swift? I'm not quite sure how she how tall she is, with like five foot seven Fernando Alonso. How tall is Taylor Swift? One point Yuki all over again. She's 1.8 meters tall, which puts her about the same height as me. So yeah, that would be 
quite physically imposing stood next to a quite short Fernando Alonso. It's like, um, have you ever seen the picture of her doing, um, I think it's an awards ceremony with Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is about five foot four. Oh, I've definitely seen that picture somewhere. Taylor Swift, Bruno Mars height is like the first thing that pops up. <laughs> oh God, I don't think it helps that she's wearing heels in that picture, but there's one angle, one aspect that has to have been edited because he barely comes up to her waist. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, we've gotten completely sidetracked as ever, and it's time to sort of start properly looking ahead at the Austin Grand Prix. And well, Timo's written this, it's bad news that it's another sprint weekend, sprint weekend, though in balance, the last one wasn't dire, and Cota is an engaging circuit. Assuming Pirelli balls up the tires comp- balls up the tire compounds, uh, we could see something exciting here. Uh, this is also the first time that two sprint weekends have been held back to back and both at novel locations for the format. So a lot of unproven theories going around at the moment. The other good news, though, is that we obviously get to watch the F1 Academy live for the final round of 2023. And with 66 points on the table across the weekend at the top end of it, it's all still to play for in the top three. Marta Garcia is currently in P1 with 235 points. Lena Bula sits in P2 with 187 points. And Hamda Alcabesi is in P3 with 179. So very much all still to jostle for there. And again, in the positions behind P3, there's a lot on the table still. In the world of Formula One, Mercedes are set to run a new floor this weekend and have cited McLaren as their benchmark performance-wise. Haas are also bringing along some upgrades. Uh, alongside their new look, which is quite an interesting one and certainly very American, uh, they'll be running some new aero on the VF23. Gunter Steiner has been cited as saying it's a step towards the Red Bull aero philosophy, more technically known as the downwash approach. The American outfit are hoping for a big upgrade in performance after dropping behind Alfa Romeo in the standings following a poor week weekend in Qatar. The team has scored a single point in the last eight races, so desperately need to garner some more. Danny Rick is back in the driving seat and was even in a Red Bull recently. Taking part in a street demonstration in Nashville, Tennessee, he's looking forward to the weekend, but has a little apprehension about how demanding the circuit will be on his newly reformed wrist. Track limits are likely to be on the radar again this weekend, with the tarmac runoffs at Cota a prime opportunity for extending racing lines. Last year, there were 30 times deleted by race control during the Grand Prix at Cota, with the instance being recorded at turns 6, 9, 11, 12, and 19. This is fewer than the 51 offences noted during the Qatar Grand Prix, Stroll and Perez being the most prodigious offenders there. It does beg the question, how impactful do we think it will be this weekend? I hope they won't be for the sake of the racing, because it gets a bit tedious when suddenly everyone's being awarded five-second penalties for track limits. Um... Yeah, I'm not so sure about it either, but I just hope that we don't see too many track limits because for me, they're always ruining the races and coming in at the wrong times. So I just hope this is a smooth race and it's not like last year's where, you know, you mentioned 30 times deleted. So I think that we're definitely going to be seeing some track limit issues, but for the most part, I hope it's not as much as it was last year. It amused me. The one thing I'll say on it is the fact that there was all that stuff about Bottas when he was at Mercedes going over the track limits towards the final corner on the most minor kind of infringement you could have. And then it just switched to IndyCar racing around Cota. They were going so ridiculously wide on the same corner and no one gave two, two hoots about any of that and they just let them get on with it. I thought, yes, can we just have that instead, please? That's just, 
you're not going to get this qualifying. I could kind of understand, but in the race, you're really just let them race. You're going to, if you're going to go that far out on something, you're not really going to gain much of an advantage. And if you are losing it by that kind of much, it just, just let them race. Just let them race. I think if you think IndyCar's sort of disregard for track limits is good, you should probably go and check out the NASCAR race around there as well, where everything just seemed I, to be a viable do, racing it surface. Very slow in comparison to any other racing I watched there, and it just doesn't do anything for me. Oh, but the, the fact that just sort of anything is prime racing territory for the NASCAR seems to be sort of the, the going method. Um, moving on from track limits, Kota will be prov- a proving ground for the sport's popularity as well. Last year, it broke records with a solid 400,000 people in attendance across the weekend. Now, with reports of the racing series' waning popularity, it'll be interesting to see if a, if a season which is already concluded in its title fights can draw the same numbers as it did the year prior. That one will certainly be an interesting one and one that's probably going to be misconstrued by every media outlet going, oh, F1 is no longer as popular as it was, or maybe just because the season's concluded early, people aren't quite so driven. We'll have to wait and see. Equally, there is the argument for cost. Tickets have not been cheap to get along to Cota. And finally, Stroll and Sargent are the only drivers to not score since the summer break. For Sargent, this is to be expected, but for Stroll, it's a sign of the mounting pressure. In that time, his teammate has accumulated a relatively moderate 34 points, but fighting one-handedly, Aston Martin is now sure to lose P4 in the constructors to McLaren. So do we think either of them are going to be bagging points this weekend? No. No, I definitely don't think so either. No. I don't really think so either, but it'd be nice for Logan to. Mm-hmm. Nice to see yeah, I agree. I'd like, to see Sergeant. I'd like to see Sergeant score, but with Stroll, I'm sort of just fed up with him at this point. I really think that Aston Martin needs to kick him out and find somebody who's more on par with his teammate. You know, I just, I, I, I don't want to be wa- logging on to see the races and see Lance Stroll racing around the circuits anymore. There's definitely other more deserving drivers that seat could be opened up to, I think, is is a more unique way of putting that. Uh, that's me really reining in my thoughts on Monstrol. Um, What weather can we expect this weekend, though? Thursday is set to see comfortable highs of 32 degrees Celsius throughout the day, ideal for test and setup sessions. Friday is hotter, described as having blazing sunshine and highs of 36 degrees, and a stark contrast in the heat to the, in the UK right now, where we saw minus six over last weekend up in the lakes. Saturday isn't so intense at 34 degrees Celsius, and Sunday is 32 degrees, with a breeze picking up from the south, which could provide a tailwind of sorts through the first sector. Be interesting to see if we notice any drivers struggling with that. When it comes to which on-track battles we should look out for, working backwards through the field, AlphaTauri have DR3 back, but that's not a confirmation of performance. I've not got high hopes here looking at their performances on similar circuits. Haas will need to utilise the free practice session as best they can to refine their new format, but if it lives up to the hype of the white red bull that they've titled it, then they could be in for some points. Alfa Romeo aren't likely to be tailing at the back of the field, but I can't see them sniffing around the points either, given previous performances around, again, similar circuits on the calendar. Williams could capitalise here on a circuit similar in demands to ones they've run well on previously. Equally, with warm running, they haven't had major mechanical issues, so this could be the weekend Logan breaks his duck, maybe? 
Alpine are going to be racing in a field of their own in the middle of the pack at this point, really. Alex Alm would be hard pushed to catch them in the standings and McLaren on their current form are miles down the road. They do stand a chance of a top 15 finish and maybe even a top 10 finish, though, if they play a good strategy. Speaking of McLaren, uh, they'll be looking to carry on the momentum that they've built up so far and press home their current advantage over Aston Martin. It wouldn't take much for them to catch Ferrari either. Given their pace on similar circuits, we could see the Papaya team back on the podium again. Aston Martin really needs to gather their team together though and rebuild as they're losing their grip on fourth as the weekends roll by. A demanding track with a real mix of speeds through its turns isn't likely to play them any favours. Equally, both Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso had a fairly torrid time round Cota last year, if anyone remembers the incredible wheelie that Alonso pulled down the back straight after colliding with the Canadian. Ferrari might struggle this weekend. It's not likely to be a track that suits their car's dynamic nature. If we see Scarlett in the top five, they will have done well. But the real question is which number will be on the car. Mercedes are concerned about the pace of the McLaren, and that won't really stop them bagging points. But unless this new floor, uh, that won't stop them bagging some points. But uh, unless this new floor works, I can't see the Silver Arrows getting anywhere near the Speedbirds or even closer to the top of the podium. Red Bull, well, they'll be fast. Uh, enough said. The real question is what's Perez going to do amidst the swirling rumours of his retirement from sport? It'll be interesting to see where his head is at coming into this weekend. His reputation on sprint weekends isn't the strongest. And and with mounting pressure to bag P2 in the driver's title, there's a lot to play for in this case. With all that in mind, it comes to our predictions. And pole position, it is a clean sweep across the board for Max Verstappen. Don't think much more needs to be said about it. No, it seems to be every week we all sort of go, who's going to get pole? Max. Yeah, go on. Um, when it comes to the podium, though... We've all picked the same drivers, all in different orders. I'm the only one that's gone for a non-Verstappen win, interestingly. Um, possibly a sign of my own madness. Um, three out of the four of us have gone for Piastri second, though. Isha, you're the only one that's gone for Norris in second. Yeah, well, you know, looking at your pick, that's what I would like to see happen. I'd like to see Norris in front of everyone else. But... um. You know, if it comes to scoring points and stuff, I think the safe pick is to go with Verstappen. But the reason why I put Norris second and then Piastri third is I just feel like coming in from the last race weekend, I think that Lando Norris is going to be trying to outperform Piastri because he is the he's the senior driver in that relationship. Right. He doesn't want to see Piastri in front of him. Um as we saw in the last race. So I think that he's definitely going to be trying harder to get in front of him. And I, I don't know. I just I have a I have this intuition that says that he's going to be in front of Piastri. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, on that, it's fairly obvious where we've laid it out, really. Um, Timo, Ellie May and Isha have gone for over Stappen win while I've sort of backed Norris really for this one. I reckon this could be the time we see it happen. Um, everyone bar Isha has gone for Piastri in second while she's gone for Norris in the second. And then the remaining people, I've gone for Verstappen third, Timo, Ellie May have gone for Norris in third and Isha Piastri in third. So the podium makes fair amounts of sense. When it comes to fastest laps, it's a fairly jumbled board. Isha has been probably the most straight of the lot of us and gone for the Max Verstappen fastest lap. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see uh, TMO's prediction, you know, with Carlos Sainz, but I just I think it's going to be Max Verstappen. 
<laughs> the safe answer I feel like for everything is to just pick Max for stopping. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm. That's the strategy I'm using here. Annoyingly good logic, and I just I'm agreeing with you wanting me to be right because I've been saying Carlos signs for however many Grand Prix now in the hope that it's going to happen, and it just doesn't. So I'm hoping this weekend might be the weekend. Yeah, you've been picking him for quite a while. I think it'd be nice to get a bit of a shift up. Ellie May, Lewis Hamilton is a bit of a, I would say he's a bit of a, a sort of left field choice, especially given the fact that I've picked the other Mercedes of George Russell, sort of both now all of a sudden questioning my own choice in Mercedes apparent pace. I had just, I, well, I've literally just made my predictions whilst you were uh, talking about sort of what on track battles we can expect. I'm not having an earthquake. The cat, I, my laptop is on top of, the cat stand because I can't go over and sit at the table because it's raining and our Wi-Fi is that bad that it won't work in the rain and the cat has decided now's the time to use the scat- scratching post <laughs> so that's why I'm just shaking around a bit but yeah um didn't have much time to really make my predictions I just thought if I pick the exact same podium as Timo what weird chaos can we create and then fastest lap Find out. yeah fastest lap sergeant win <laughs> yeah we'll wait and see how that one pans out speaking of slightly crazy ideas we get to our wild predictions and we've got a fairly good spread across the board here uh, we'll start with the most obvious of the lot which i think think is going to be Perez crashes again or doesn't score any points yeah I think I think it's it's my wild prediction but I feel like it's very likely for that to happen um I just like looking at his past few performances he has not been doing a good job so I think that there's a very good chance of my prediction coming true this weekend then we'll go to Alfa Romeo continue their point scoring streak. Yeah, I, there's no real thought process behind it, if I'm honest. It, it was just sort of a, a pure guess. You figured you might as well throw it to the wind and see what happens. Really, that's uh, that was your mindset. Pretty much. Solid. We love it. Um, Timo, you reckon Ricardo is going to score some points on his return debut? Least one, yeah. I'm going to say screw what the class capable of. Screw Ricardo having just come back from a broken wrist and needing a bit of time to actually get back into the groove of things. I think it's sprint weekend, have a bit of chaos, have a bit of that classic Ricardo action that we all know and love, and he can get he can get at least one point over this weekend, and we'll all be very happy for it because it's Daniel Lippin Ricardo. Pretty sound, and I've gone for Williams scored double points. So there's, it's very much a, a big ask there of not only Albon getting it into the points, but I'm expecting Sergeant to follow him into that top ten. So uh, we'll see how that one pans out. Um, meanwhile, we've also got a new little section: our fan or listener predictions. Um, we've got Has Chap has gone for a Has one two, unsurprisingly, and Nathan Hugh has predicted both Ferraris in the top five, which. Is a lot more likely than the Haas one too, I want to say, but would be an interesting result, certainly, if we had both Ferraris in the top five, and I'm not against that one at all. Really, could have done well last year if he wasn't uh, 
punted out by Russell at turn one. Yeah. yeah. Was not happy about that one. <laughs> anyway, um, while we've got F1 Academy kicking around this weekend, we might as well make some predictions for those. We're going to go for one prediction each, essentially. Um, Isha, we'll start with yours, please. Um, yeah, so I didn't have much thought going on behind this one. I didn't really know what to predict, so I just sort of came up with this. I said, we'll see two old faces on the podium and one new face. Um, I just, I don't know. That's it. That's my prediction. You wanted a blend of old and new to keep things spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie May will go for your prediction next, because I've just realised what I've written has been pretty much the same as yours, and I will rewrite mine. We can have the same. I'm not okay. I, I won't hate you for it. Okay, okay. It mind. might jinx your prediction coming right though, Ellie May. It's fine. This doesn't add up to our prediction. Our prediction scores. So this this is this is merely fun. For Why her. not? F1 Academy predictions not worthy of the same prediction points as Formula One. Because I've got to find a way of getting it into the spreadsheet, and I'd already made the just spreadsheet. add a point. Bonus category at the end of the list. Job done. <sighs> it's gonna look so untimely. How hard can it be? Ellie May, what's your prediction? I've gone for one of the top three in the championship do not remain in the top three at the end of the three races. This follows back the on very nice. And Timo, what's your F1 Academy prediction? At least one new race winner and two new podium sisters, which I think is just about still possible considering it's been quite a... Uh close field throughout the entire season and we've had quite a mixture on there I think that's still just mathematically possible so why not make it happen I think it could certainly happen uh, meanwhile I've just simply gone for the top three will have the order jumbled significantly which I think that's, that's we'll see something interesting happen there for certain it's closely cut and there's plenty of points still available in that series which leads us nicely to the end of this week's podcast I will just say one little weird piece of news that's cropped up on my phone um the Hero ERA Rally Series, which is a sort of classic rallying series that goes around the world, does loads of different interesting ones. They're currently out on, I think it's their Badwi Rally across the Middle East. And they've just arrived in Saudi Arabia and in Jeddah, where they've got some fantastic photographs of the classic rally cars coming around the circuit. So I, that, which, which just looks quite cool. It's so rare to see a classic Mercedes or a classic Porsche going around the Jeddah Corniche circuit. So... Cool stuff there. Go have a look at them on Instagram. And if you've got a car and you're in the UK, sign up to their um, Rally for the Ages next year. It was a great bit of fun when I did it this year and a great chance to get into classic rallying. Um, the, the bug bites hard, I'll tell you that much. Um, but anyway, before I get completely sidetracked about classic cars, as ever, we'll wrap up this week's podcast and we'll be back again soon reviewing the American Grand Prix and the F1 Academy action from across the weekend. So make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. And if you want to drop your predictions, feel free to do so in the comments. They'll be available on YouTube and probably even on Spotify because that is an option these days. Timo, in the meantime, where can the people find you? You can find me over on Is It Fast, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock's Royalty, Instagram, and on the curves, where this week I've got an F1 and F1 Academy preview coming out with Campos Racing's Matisse Aceros. Fantastic. Isha, where can the people find you? I can be found on the Grid Network, where I'm an F1 reporter, as well as on my own YouTube channel called Racing with Isha. Fantastic. Ellie May, where could the people find you? You can find me over on our Instagram page where I create the graphics or on our TikTok account. 
Very nice. And in the meantime, if for whatever deranged reason you want more of me, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as at Jesse on Cars, and find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. Our latest issue literally went live today and has a massive preview of the NEC's Classic Motor Show in it. And I've even got a test drive of a very tasty Toyota MR2 tucked in there. Nice little second-gen W20. So uh, worth picking that up if you pop into the corner shops this week. I'm, I'm tempted to go to that. It should be an interesting one. I know I'm kicking around on the Friday for that one, and there's usually a good mix of cars, and um, I think I'm doing a live stage talk at some point as well, so almost certainly well, worth turning up for that. I thought I'd go see the racing at Silverstone, but there's going to be storms, and it's going to be raining, and I'm like, is it is it going to, like, is the racing going to be good if it's... Stormy. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen, because it's the motor racing legends finale isn't it i saw that with a bit of rain back in 2021 it says questioning what year it was yeah i think it was that and it was all right obviously the older cars do love to slide around a bit in the rain you get the spray which makes it quite atmospheric but at the end of the day silverstone is a bleak bleak place to be stood in the absolute slashing rain yeah it's cold it was cold in august (laughs) it was we had to get hot chocolates to warm up at the classic anyway we're getting sidetracked we'll be back with a review of the american grand prix in a few days time i guess it'll be the tuesday after the grand prix we'll catch you then thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon bye